good communication is one of the most important aspects of any organization, but the communication process gets exponentially harder the more your company grows. Between various apps and tools and email chains, employees are constantly communicating and in different ways. It's a process that can be frustrating, and that's why Laurent Perrin co-founded Front. Front is an application that simplifies the communication process and puts everything you need all in one place. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Laurent talks about how he helped build Front with his co-founder, the growing pains they went through, the importance of integration and partnership, and so much more. Enjoy the discussion. This podcast is sponsored by the Lightning Platform by Salesforce. Salesforce just introduced the Lightning Platform Mobile, the low-code mobile app development platform that empowers anyone to easily build, publish, and manage AI-powered mobile apps for employees and for customers. Find out more at salesforce.com slash build mobile apps. Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at mission.org. And we have on the other line, on the other side of the world, Laurent, how's it going? Uh, pretty good, thank you. So today we are going to be talking about what you're up to as CTO and co-founder of Front App. Front is something that is one of the hot YC startups from, uh, from a number of years ago, a company that seems to just be in the news a bunch. Last year, ranked number three in the Fortune Magazine's you know, best uh, SMB companies to work for. And we're going to get all into why you founded Front. But first, how did you get into technology? Um, that's a good question. So I actually started programming from a from young age. And at the time, I was doing basic because that's what you did at the time. And I remember that I was fascinated that, um, you know, in real life, when you do something harder, like if you want to do it again, it's about just as hard. But in programming, when you write a complex function, then you can immediately use it over and over again and it becomes easy. And I was really fascinated by that, by what it made possible. I love that idea that technology actually makes things simpler. Did you work on projects, you know, like right outside of school or did you, were you tinkering on different things um, or did you kind of immediately find a job? I found a job immediately after school, but uh, I think I did what most programmers do. It's like you work on extremely complex things that are ultimately very useless. So I remember that I wrote a 3D engine in assembly language and then someone pointed out to me that DirectX had been out for a few years and there was really no point in doing that anymore. And so uh, I think I learned the hard way that it's really hard to have an idea of something meaningful and it has nothing to do with programming at all. So flash forward a number of years and, you know, it's 2013. Tell me about how you met your co-founder and then what were the origins of Front? So we actually met like a few weeks or months before uh, starting this company together. We were working like from the from the same place actually. Like the startup scene in Paris wasn't that big at the time, so like you you kind of met people and you kind of knew people. 
what drove us together was that we had the same work ethics and so we we naturally clicked together and we were also like passionate about about that problem which was communication because we had both worked for small companies that grew and where you had this communication problem where after like about 10 coworkers everything started to break down you had to bring tools to collaborate that were supposed to make things simpler but didn't really and so like organically we we started working on this problem so you founded the company in paris right yes so we started the company in 2013 in paris and then we a few months later we started to show our product to customers and we were very happy except that we noticed that after two weeks virtually 100 percent of them were gone and uh, i remember that one day i was like busy on the weekend like trying to rebuild something and uh, so i start shutting the servers down which up until that point had never been an issue and suddenly i see an email from someone saying hey is there something wrong right now because i i can't reply to my emails and then i realized oh we actually have a user uh, and from that point things became pretty quick we quickly grew to have like a, about a hundred users and we realized that most of them were actually in the bay area even though we were in paris and we had made no efforts to target the bay area so we started to look for ways to relocate to the bay area which we did when we entered Y Combinator a few months later. Isn't that funny? I mean, I feel like there's, we talk a lot about, you know, the advantages of being around, you know, the Bay Area just because there's so many people working on hard problems, but there's also so many people that are looking for new solutions to problems with technology. And a lot of the, you know, CIOs and CTOs that we talk to want to have some type of presence here to get that kind of bubble up effect, to get and find new technologies. Did you find that, you know, after kind of going through YC and, and refining the product and the company and all that sort of stuff, that having a, a foothold here made a big difference? Or was it something that you kind of wanted to get back to, uh, to France and, and get back to work? No, so... I think once we went to the Bay Area, there was really no coming back for multiple reasons. The first one is that people think about like building a company as something that's about like pure efficiency. And you can see it that way, but like we really saw it as an adventure and it was a lot more fun for us to travel to a new country, build a new life. And uh, like uh, it felt like an adventure and that, that, that's also why we did it. There were also like more pragmatic reasons. We are in building a SaaS business. And so what is really important is to have integrations and basically recognitions from other SaaS softwares because your users, they use different tools and they want these tools to work together. And so being in the Bay Area where most of the SaaS industry was, uh, was a way to build these partnerships and build the recognition we needed to uh, get our first uh, 100 seat customer, our first 200 seat customers, and you know, climb the ladder. Yeah, I, w I wanted to ask you about integrations, and and I'll save that question for a little bit because it's one of the things that I think you know is so so critical for startups to you know quickly build out, and you you have really robust integration capability. 
So we'll get into that in a second, but I wanted to kind of take a step back and talk about front and what were the type of problems that you heard from your customers when you, when you started talking to them, when you started listening to them, like why were they frustrated about email? Why were they frustrated about project management? What were the kind of frustrations that, that built the, you know, getting to the 200 person teams and things like that, that were using the platform. So there is the story of how we got into that space, but like the story of how we got into our first big customers uh, is also interesting. And, um, like one message we heard a lot was that like uh, they are just seeing their employees burn out. Like it, it feels weird because at the same time, like uh, we live in an era where we have so much privilege. You work, uh, you're a knowledge worker. Uh, you get to think about very complex and very uh, challenging problems. And yet like the communication tools that you use make you so miserable that eventually a great part of these workers actually quit their job and try doing something else. Um, so for some of these companies, they were willing to bet on us because it had become a question of survival for them. Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the, one of the things we talk about a lot on the show is, you know, every CEO says that their talent is their most, you know, important asset of the company. And yet one of the things that gets slashed first is IT budgets and infrastructure budgets to try to make sure that employees are working faster and, and making those folks happier. Is that like one of the metrics that you track internally, like employee, you know, happiness or, or what, what are, how are you kind of measuring the impact that this stuff has? So we, we measure uh, a lot of things, but uh, I think that what we measure is how much time can we save you? Because like uh, the problem is that even though like personal email is declining year over year, it's not true for professional email at all. So it's increasing year after year and even worse, like each worker receives more and more emails which means that you spend a growing part of your time like just managing this communication flow and not thinking or uh, working on, on what you should be working on. And so the idea of Font is to make all of that more efficient and we have ways to track how much time we, we can save. And we can do it individually for some of our customers. In some industries, like you think of an email client as a generic, unique tool, but what people really need is actually like a specialized communication tool for their workflows. So it's a, it's a tool that is flexible enough that they can make it foolproof. The, one of the problems of an email client is that you have the ability to do a lot of damage because it's so generic. You can reply all to an email where you're not supposed to reply all. And it's amazing because if you think about it, like in most of the tools that you use, it's possible to automatically detect that something is wrong. The tool doesn't let you do it for your own good, but not for email. But so, so for some of our customers that have implemented customized workflows, we are able to save them like about six hours a week, which means that you essentially get one extra day a week. Wow, that's, that's a huge stat. Did you find that you ha kind of have that like anecdotal proof too? Did you have people reaching out on the platform? Like, you know, I, I can't believe how, how quick this is working or things like that. Yes. And like, it might sound incredible or too good to be true, but uh, 
for example, like the way you typically work uh, in your inbox, it's that it's like cleaning the dishes. You do it and the next day the dishes are dirty again and you need to do it again. And it, it really shows how you typically operate. And uh, with front, since you work in a unified environment where you can see what other people are doing in real time, it's like uh, you clean the dishes, but you also do it for everyone in your building at the same time. And that's yeah. where like there is this compounding effect that that delivers a huge productivity gains. How much are you, you know, as the company's grown, you're over, well, you're over a hundred people now, right? How much are you, you know, did you switch from building to managing a team? And what was that like? I mean, you've been a CTO before, so I know you have some experience with that, but I'm curious kind of this time around. That's a good question. So I'm actually like still actively contributing to the product, but the reason why I do it has changed. So in the beginning, it was really about making the product exist and keeping the company alive, basically. And now the goal is to keep me relevant and make sure that I can confidently uh, be the voice of engineers. So the, the main goal is so that I can understand exactly like what problems engineers are facing, what are the trade-offs that, that we need to make, so that when we talk about a potential project that we'd like to execute, I can already start to imagine in my head what is the plan, how to break it down into several sub-projects that we can assign to, to different teams. Ultimately, I see myself as being responsible for the technology, of course, even though I'm working with a head of engineering for whom people are actually like the, the primary goal. You, you cannot build a complex product uh, without like being a bit opinionated about how you grow people and how you mastermind projects so that you're going to assign this project to this team and it delivers value to your customers and it also helps this team grow and get to the next step. We were talking before this about how you spend time in France and San Francisco. You have offices in both places. You know, it can be really challenging, which is why we have, you know, apps like Front out there for better collaboration. But it can be really challenging to run, you know, split operations in kind of the stage startup that you are. Why the two uh, locations? And ultimately, like, do you find that you know, to be tough spending your time between both places? It does have a personal cost. So I think that there are multiple reasons why we did it and more importantly, why we did it uh, at that time. One of them was that the company was growing a lot. We were raising our Series B. And up until that point, we had always been behind on our hiring targets. And we kind of worried as a... Like we were kind of proud of it because it was like saying, oh, we didn't hire as much as we thought and we still met our goals. So like, let's be happy about it. And we realized that that was a bit short-sighted. It would only work for, for so long and uh, uh, it would put us in a bad situation. And having two offices meant uh, an opportunity to hire from two locations and to actually meet our hiring goals. The second aspect is that as you grow, you also need to have like very specialized expertise. So there is this key technology, you need an expert and you need to find them wherever they are. And it can actually 
put your company in trouble because when you publicly say we, we have like funding and it becomes harder and harder to say that you're not capable of solving like every single problem. So finding like that expert wherever they are is also important. And one last thing that we discovered along the way is that when you start from a company where everyone is literally in, in, the, same, in the same room, it's really hard to include remote workers. So you cannot hire them because you cannot have everyone in the room, a lot of discussions happening over desks and someone who is excluded from that. And opening a, new, a second office is kind of a stepping stone so that it forces you to put all of your processes in writing to be more disciplined. And ultimately, it makes it possible to then have remote workers. Yeah, we, we talk about remote work all the time on the show because of, you know, bring your own device and governance and all the things that IT leaders worry about with, you know, wanting to make sure that the communication software is right, the collaboration software is right, that all of their employees are, are all engaged in the right way. And it's really tough when you have the one mega headquarters and everybody's there in person and then you have the one person who's, who's remote. It's interesting that you say, though, that it does have a personal cost. I, I can't imagine uh, you're probably filling up your uh, whatever, whatever airline card is probably racking up miles. So I want to switch to integrations and APIs. You know, Zapier just came out with their fastest growing apps in 2019 list pretty recently. Front was number two on the list for them. You have integrations with a ton of different things like Salesforce, Slack, Asana, Twilio, uh, and many more. Why was it so critical for you to build early on front with flexible APIs and having your own API? So honestly, from the very beginning, it's something that we felt we'd build at some point, but we didn't really feel the urgency. And uh, one day, we, we didn't have that many customers at the time. And one of them told us, hey, uh, we noticed that you're making updates to your app almost every day. And we have this Chrome extension to uh, enhance fonts with things that we care about. And so if you could just like commit to have these markers in your code so that we don't have to rebuild our, our Chrome extension every day. And we told them, wait, what, you have a Chrome extension? And then we realized that having like extensibility and APIs had to be much higher in our priority list. So we immediately started building these integrations. And later we also realized that one of the ways that people were wasting time was that they were constantly switching between tools. And as the SaaS market was growing, it meant that you would use more and more tools and you kind of needed to have this central point and your inbox could be a natural central point from which you operate all the other tools. So for example, some friend of ours were very happy because they had built a Slack integrations with Salesforce and they were saying, well, if you type this command and the email of a customer, you can get their information right in Slack. And 
we like in front, what happens is that if you open an email from a customer, the Salesforce panel updates and you don't need to do anything. So you can actually like uh, operate on your email and on Salesforce data instantly side by side without any friction. Did you see a noticeable difference in your growth once you started adding all of those connections and uh, in your API? Because you've had such massive growth over the last year that I'm curious, you know, what were some of the kind of, you know, sources of, of that growth? I think that because you don't just build an integration, you actually build a partnership and integrations and partnerships are becoming synonyms in a way. So for example, like uh, one of our most successful integrations was uh, with Twilio, which we use as a channel so that you can import SMS in front. And that led to a significant part of our growth at some point. I honestly, I couldn't say if uh, how much of our recent growth is due to integrations, but it definitely helped a lot two years ago. Is it kind of one of those things where it's like a, you know, lagging indicator, right? It's like you, you do all the work two years ago and then, you know, now when people come, I mean, I know for me personally, like when I go to your website and you see that it works with all those apps, you know, directly in your inbox, that was something that, you know, you feel that sense of relief of like, hey, you know, this hot thing that people are using and you've kind of seen come up a bunch of different times, but does it really do the, all the stuff that we need it to do? It's like, oh, okay, great. You know, look at all the logos of all your partners. Funnily enough, like some of our most successful integrations are not in this page because you have the ability to build an integration yourself. Uh, hundreds of our customers did it. And so that's how they can turn front in a specialized tool that is dedicated to their workflow. For example, we have lots of customers in the logistics industry. There isn't really a standard tool that logistics companies use. So even today, they still operate mostly over email. Like building tools on top of front makes it possible to make these interactions a, a lot safer. So what goes into building the infrastructure that makes front work? So the main thing is that Front works very differently from traditional email. And uh, one of the hardest problems we face is convincing people that what we build is an email client, even though it, it really isn't. So one of these problems is that with traditional email, inboxes are siloed. So for example, if I send an email to you, actually two copies of that email exist, one in my inbox and one in yours. And if we are not working for the same company, that, that's not an issue. But if we're working on the same company, sometimes it's, it's a bit of a problem. So for example, one of the early features that we built was comments. So comments, it's actually uh, an internal record. It's never shared with the outside world. And it's a way to record the decision-making process. So for example, you receive an email from an important customer. You don't want to reply right away. So you have this internal conversation. And then once your team agrees on what you reply, then, then you can reply. But the problem is that comments only work if we are actually commenting on the same thing. So we had to completely redesign the way we store email and we store messages in general so that instead of having these independent inboxes, 
we treat all the emails from an entire organization as some sort of a unified repo. And uh, you can have a conversation that appears in multiple inboxes. You can move physically conversations between inboxes. So it's not forwarding, it's not creating a copy, it's physically removing it from your inbox and adding it in another inbox. And that meant that we have to store a copy with a completely different structure of the entire uh, email record of our customers. And so that was the hardest problem to solve at the beginning. How many different kinds of, you know, weird email inboxes were you seeing at that time? I would imagine that, you know, people are blending their work email with personal email, you know, back and forth, all those sort of things. Was that a challenge? Yes. So I think in terms of providers, like it's a, it's an engineering problem and we solved it and it was difficult, but it's not that interesting. It's also like when we enter in a new industry and we realize that they use email in a completely unique way that uh, stresses, that challenges assumptions we made in a, in a whole new way. They will always like uh, CC hundreds of people or they will send emails to thousands of recipients at the same time. So every time we onboard a new bigger customer, we brace ourselves and we get ready to address new things that will come up. But the good thing is that we've crossed the point where we have enough funding and enough momentum that it's not a matter of if we are going to fix these problems. If it makes sense for us to be in that industry, we'll find a way to do it because we have the resources too. All right, let's get into lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by our friends at the lightning platform from Salesforce. You can go to salesforce.com slash build mobile apps to learn how you can make apps fast and easy on the lightning platform, just like fast and easy questions in the lightning round. Fast and easy questions. Are you ready, Laurent? Yes. Okay, number one. What app are you using on your phone that is the most fun? I don't... So I try not to use my phone too much. I would say YouTube. <laughs> what is your favorite vacation spot? Oh, it's easy hiking in the mountains. What do you do for fun? So... So I'm sorry if I apologize for that. I read physics books. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. What's your favorite book or podcast that you've read or listened to recently? Um, so, you know, there is this show about Chernobyl on HBO and there is actually a companion podcast that is very insightful. And uh, I learned a lot by watching the show and listening to the podcast. What technology are you most excited about going forward? Um, so it has nothing to do with with communication. I like like everything that's happening to transportation because I live in Paris and I feel like I'm witnessing the transition where you have cars that are you know with a with a gas engine and we are witnessing this transition to a new lighter means of transportation uh, that are also cleaner and I feel that. In 10 or 15 years, it will be really hard for the kids to imagine that we allowed like gas engines to be uh, running all, all the time in cities. What is your best advice for a first-time CTO? Um, 
to not overcomplicate things, one trend I notice is that people want to solve an intellectually satisfying problem. And in doing so, they overcomplicate it. And in the end, since they severely underestimated the problem, they end up not being able to solve it. What question did I not ask you today that you rarely get asked, but you wish you were asked more often? That's a good one. Um, I think it would be um, how much of that role is about not being a CTO. So when you're a CTO and a co-founder, how much of it is just being a co-founder and, and not a CTO? That's actually a pretty good one because I think a lot of times, you know, we talk a lot about technical founders and all that stuff. Do you think it was easier or harder being uh, the technical co-founder in the weeds for, for a long time? I think it's hard, but I think that nothing really compares to being a CEO. And I'm very grateful for my co-founder, Mathieu, to have done such a good job because I would never have been able to do it. I love to hear that. Laurent, this has been great. Thanks so much for, for coming on the show. Any, uh, any final, final thoughts? Everyone should check out Front. Basically, we have uh, 5,000 customers today. And what we are most proud of is that it's a sample of every company in the world. So if you have more than two employees, then you might want to consider looking at us. And really, thank you so much for having me today. It was a pleasure. Awesome. Thanks so much, and we'll uh, talk soon. Thank you again to our friends at Salesforce. IT Visionaries is brought to you by the Lightning Platform by Salesforce. Salesforce just introduced the Lightning Platform Mobile, the low-code mobile app development platform that empowers anyone to easily build, publish, and manage AI-powered mobile apps for employees and for customers. Find out more at salesforce.com slash build mobile apps.